welcome back to APIs You Won't Hate, episode 14. Today I have two very special guests with me and a strong lack of two hosts. It's just me, Matt, today. Mike is doing Mike things and Phil is doing Phil things. Um, but I'm super excited because I'm joined by two very awesome people from the API community. Uh, I have with me um, Taylor Barnett, who is a senior community engineer from Transposit. And I also have Ken Lane here from Postman as a chief API evangelist for them. And what we're talking about today is um, the API specifications conference that's coming up in, in a couple months. Uh, but first, how's everyone doing? How was y'all's weekend? It was great. Long, nice long weekend. Cool. Yeah, same here. Uh, decent Memorial Day. No, no big uh, camping or anything that could go wrong. Just a uh, mellow. Cool, cool. Glad to hear it. And thank you all so much for um, taking an hour out of your day just to come hang out with me and talk about this. So you are both kind of leading the charge on um, this conference. So kind of give me a little bit of background. Like what what is the conference? What does it all entail? And if I was a if this is the first time I'm ever hearing about this conference, like what can I kind of hope to get out of that? Yeah. So API Specifications Conference is basically a place for practitioners to come and learn from each other. Um, and while like the discussion of API specifications is like evolving uh, through the conference, uh, and those specifications can be not just Open API, but GraphQL, JSON Schema, um, gRPC, um, Async API, and, and and other related and adjacent stuff. It's about, you know, trying to learn from practitioners, people that are actually doing the work um, and often at scale. Um, and so, you know, there's there's some keynotes. Uh, we do a few panels, but there's a lot of like uh, sessions that talk about, you know, how someone, for example, last year, someone from Target talked about how they were scaling open API at Target um, and a lot a lot of really awesome people to learn from. Yeah, I'll, I'll augment with, um, it's a, this is the second virtual and it's the fourth? Third. Third. <laughs> it feels, it feels, you yeah, know. Yeah, it feels it, like the third, yeah. It's like, it's we've that, had multiple things in the <laughs> pandemic, yeah. <that> vortex. <laughs> and so, and I have to admit for me, it's, it's the continuation of API strat, strategy and practice because uh, ask, we, we gave API strategy and practice, Steve Wilmot and I, um, back in, well, now I'm going to screw this up to 2018, I believe. <laughs> um, but we, we started API strat back in 2012, um, ran it, I believe eight or nine times and then transformed it in and gave it to the Linux foundation. So ask is, is run by the open API initiative, which is in the Linux foundation. But as Taylor said, it's it's not just an open API thing. It's 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 really the place to try to bring together all the the specifications into one conversation. No, that sounds really cool. So I, I one kind of like logistics thing, I guess, is like how how much work was that giving the conference, which you know you started from probably nothing to the Linux Foundation. Was that pretty easy? Pretty hard? Does it help in any way? Is there how's that work? I mean. Really, it's it, it was pretty easy because um, it was just Steve and I. And really, when I say Steve and I, it was three scale. 
and and me so i would do the program pretty heavily and steve paid all the bills and so i i got to basically travel around the world on his on three scales credit card and then red hat bought three scale ibm bought red hat and we you know it was just a handoff really the the challenging pieces uh getting getting folks to step up and kind of carry the load because it really always has been and continues to be a community event and i know uh taylor feels this feels the weight of this pretty heavily that you know getting folks to step up and kind of be owners not just like hey speak or be part of it but actually carry the load and move it forward and find speakers and find sponsors um that was really the hard part because the first one when we did we did portland it was still uh in person oh, wait no so that was still api strat that was so the, the last first, that was the last that, see, that, that's yeah. that's why that's why so in my mind we had already started giving it to yeah because i i remember like specifications being a core part of that last api strat mm -hmm. i was still at keen io at the time and we weren't really using specs and that started, I mean, I had used them, I had used API Blueprint in a software engineering role years before that. But, uh, but yeah, that was, yeah, Vancouver was our, was it has Vancouver been our first and only, first. Yeah. first and only in-person event. Yeah, so, so in my mind, so we had started transferring it in Portland, like we'd made the conscious effort that that's what was going to happen. And so uh, I was running Portland very heavily. And then I did not, was not involved in, in Vancouver. So it was actually the transition was a load <laughs> off my shoulders. And it was very easy because I didn't actually have to have any responsibility in Vancouver and, and starting with ads. But now um, I've kind of stepped back in and, and, and Taylor's been carrying the load for uh, a couple uh, years now. And so I just want to step in and help Taylor. No, that's awesome. So with it being a virtual conference, like. I've organized an in-person conference before, and that was monumentally hard. How is it organizing um, what's now going to be the second version of a of this conference virtually? Yeah, I mean, uh, so last year, initially, we were starting to look at cities. So when we first started planning in the beginning of last year, we were in this stage of, okay, where's the next, you know, Ask 2020 in person? Uh, and... And then we had a moment, I feel like me and so Daryl uh, Miller at Microsoft uh, used to also be the conference chair. And there was like this moment where we thought things were like, yeah, we don't feel like things are going to be much better in the fall. Um, and we were because we were about to sign a venue contract. I remember that it was like, I don't know, March late March baby or something like that. And so, yeah, so we, we pivoted to virtual. Um, the virtual platforms at the time were sort of a mess. Uh, you know, everybody was figuring it out. Like, how do you actually do virtual? I mean, big props to the Linux Foundation, like events team. They actually make throwing this event a lot easier because they're like professionals at this. But they were going through, they had gone through like 20 or 30 different platforms and disqualified many of them. Um, and so what we landed on was like the best of world of, of, of what could we choose from at the time um, in mid 2020. Um, later in the year, some things sort of popped up, but uh, 
it was it was wild because a lot of these platforms looked like they had these like fake venue halls and i mean some conferences are still using them and they look horrendous it looks like web 2000 um and you know but thanks to them we did not pick one of those we almost did scary um but yeah no i mean it's it was it's been a lot harder you know we we made different decisions like not everybody has to give the talk live. We give them an option. You can pre-record or give it live. Part of that is for time zones. Part of that is because if someone's really concerned that something might break while they're giving a live talk, we've kind of given them an option to not like to de-risk that. Um, you know, I'd say like chat last year was super lively um, during the talks and stuff to the point where some people were like, I can't focus on the talk because this chat is so good. Um, and it was great because then we can record because the year before in person, we didn't have the budget to record talks. Um, you know, there was, a, there was a lot of little things, you know, I really wanted it to make it more interactive. So we had the ability that people could propose open discussions that like 24 hours before they would happen. And we'd set them up a zoom call and basically people could hop onto a zoom call and have an open discussion on a topic. Um, you know, I didn't want it just only talks of people speaking and then saying that the interactive part is chat because that's like, it's not enough. Um, and I mean, I think it went really well. I mean, we had amazing actual like responses to, to people saying the content, like 88% said that it was like great or excellent, um, which is pretty high for like a conference. And we had like ridiculous, um, like attendance rates. I forgot exactly what it was, but I mean, we had like 60 something percent of people watch like nine or more talks or it was something like that, which is not normal for a virtual event. Um, and, and part of that is we did do one thing that's a little different. We did charge a small, like, I think it was $39 event fee, but we donated $10 of that to code 2040. And if anybody needed a free ticket, literally all you had to do was ask. No, and we didn't ask any questions back. Like we just gave it to them. Um, and I think that might've had something to do with it. I think uh, our audience is kind of niche. And so people who are really interested in learning about API specs are gonna show up because there's not a ton of venues for them to have that kind of environment. Um, and we've really tried to curate it so that it it's very about, it's not a general API conference. It's about, you know, how you use your specifications in general things, you know, in documentation, testing and design and governance and all these things. And so I think we did a really good job virtually. Um, replicating that this year is going to be, I think, hard. I think some people are a little burnt out. Um, but I mean, we already have quite a few good CFPs, so, so hopefully Maybe people will get a second wind in the fall because they will have gone out and done things over the summer. Um, and they'll be like, cool, <laughs> maybe one last virtual conference. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's cool. And that makes sense too. Like, cause I was thinking about it this morning before we hopped on, I was like, you know, okay. So in the PHP community, there is on a non COVID year, eight or nine different conferences, multiple user groups, community everywhere. And like, the, the spec community inside the API community, which is already a niche community, is a niche community inside of a niche community. It's like a Russian doll of niche communities almost. And it's like how, uh, like how it, you know, and that's kind of what I was curious about. I was like, how is the, the um, 
support for this kind of conference? What is the attendance like? And it, it seems like it's trending all in the right kind of direction and keeping the ticket price down seems really good. And I think the other thing to highlight too is, is the, uh, the chaos badge that the event has got with the, uh, the gold level of diversity and inclusion. Like how, what all goes into that sort of effort to make it possible to get that sort of, um, badge and, um, also kind of just like what, what is that badge and how does it kind of work if you know that? Yeah, I know, I know a little bit. So, uh, a part of it, I mean, they have like certain criteria for an event, you know, it's, it's, it's often the standard stuff like code of conduct and things like that. But also it's like that you're tracking, uh, demographics data and things like that too. Um, and you're providing things like the free tickets if, if it is uh, a paid event. Um, one of the things like, so last year I, well, last year and this year I've been leading the, the CFP. And one of the important things to me was I take demographics data on CFP submissions so that I have an idea as the CFP is going on what are submissions looking like? Um, I do a lot of outreach individually and to groups, but um, to, to try to get them to submit talks. But, you know, I know a lot of events have historically, like, you know, CFPs come in, time ends, and then they look at the demographics of who is speaking, and then they're like, oh shit, uh, we screwed up. But so it's, it's something that has to happen so much earlier. Um, and you know that's and it's it's hard because again we're talking about niche community and niche community and so finding speakers who don't uh make up the majority of often speakers is hard um and also not using the same ones every single time you know like there's there's a there's definitely a handful of people that get asked a lot and and that sucks. Like you shouldn't have to feel that pressure to, to do that. Um, so try constantly trying to find other people. So, and then, so I think you like, so the Linux foundation team events team kind of helped us like apply for that. So I don't know all the criteria. I actually was looking, trying to find the criteria. And I think that the, the group that runs that project kind of has like their final criteria. I don't know if it's actually fully public, but they show you like what things they look into. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, it's interesting because um, I think that badge has the same way that sometimes like code of conducts in the early days may have made an impact. Like mm -hmm. I would look at an event and I would, it said a lot to me if an event had a code of conduct in the earlier days. Now it's like table stakes. So you, you have to have it. Um, you know, now I sometimes look more like, do they have enforcement guidelines or like, how do I report things? Not just that they had the code of conduct. Um, but cause also, so I'm on the code of conduct committee for, for open API too, separately. Um, cause we use different ones for the event since LF is helping us with the event we run by the LF mm -hmm. code of event code of conduct. Um, cause they're also the ones who help us with reporting and stuff. But now, like, you know, I think like that badge is kind of upping it. Like, okay, what are the more criteria to, to look for rather than just does it have a code of conduct? Yeah, it's not just like slapping a bumper sticker on a car and just saying, hey, we have a code of conduct. It's cool. You know, but yeah, like, it actually and I, has. And we released yeah. like attendee, some of the attendee demographics and speaker data um, 
to, I don't, I can't remember how granular, we might not go extremely granular, partially for maybe like privacy reasons, depending on certain of the demographics, but um, we've historically released some of that data too. Nice, cool. So um, how how is this, so CFP closes now in 11 days, if my math is correct. Yeah, yes, how, June 11th. How, how does the CFP kind of like, look right now is it like a lot of talk submissions are we looking for more is yeah there... definitely looking for more i will say we don't have as many as last year at this time but we also had a longer cfp period so i think some people have been uh maybe holding off to the last minute uh let's name and shame them <laughs> get in on that come on now yeah we, Matt, we're definitely... have you submitted no <laughs> I know there's some Jason schema folks out there that haven't submitted that I know are on the fence. We need more Jason schema. Um, I have some GRPC folks. Um, Async starting to pick up momentum. I saw some, yeah, there's some a few. PR in their in their channels and communities. So I suspect we're going to get some Async folks here pretty quick. Um, but GraphQL, I'd love to see more GraphQL. So yeah, we I know there's people out there listening. Yeah. And I mean, the awesome thing also is you can submit two talks. <laughs> so if you're not convinced one is amazing, you can always put in a second. That's, I mean, that's my strategy. Um, like it's basically, we've given you, you can increase your, your chances. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we did something different this year. We did an early bird deadline that was on Friday. And so the next like week or so we're going to be looking at them. We're going to pick five talks early um and announce those uh but yeah it, it you can still even if you did the if you were before the early bird deadline that still doesn't like disqualify you for the the rest of it but yeah um june june 11th will be be the deadline and then uh the program committee which is about a dozen people will be reviewing those talks we actually to kind of give some insight in how we actually review them um, so we use Sessionize, which a lot of conferences are using now for, for CFP submissions. And they do a system of like pairwise functions, basically, like how does this talk compare to this talk? And then you just like go through a lot of comparisons and then it kind of stack ranks based on that. And then from there, we usually, I mean, the top ones that came out of that are usually fairly obvious, but then we start digging into what ranked lower and we pull out things. And then as a committee, we kind of sit down for like an hour and, and discuss how to kind of build out the program so that it's, it's well-rounded and, uh, and, you know, covers the topics as best as we can. You know, we always have a lot of open API. Uh, we're constantly looking for anything that is not open API, but at the same time, we have a decent bar of quality. So we kind of always have to balance between those two things. Well, I would add, we're also looking for more, you know, industry standards. So fire, PSD2, travel industry, anybody who's a practitioner in those those sectors. Or I'm seeing movement in the automobile space with open API, geo mapping, um, government, stuff like that. So, uh, you know, open API is kind of dominant, you know, part of the conversation because I think it's got the most momentum and in, in the widest reach. But yeah, definitely some of the other areas would be good too. Yeah, I mean, I saw like the, I think it was like last year or something, um, Her Royal Majesty's government tweeted out that they use OpenAPI. So it'd be cool to see like 
I guess governments almost get involved with this kind of thing too. So with all these different, um, I, I, I guess topics, you know, async, GraphQL, JSON schema, things like that. Is it like, is, is there a, a balance between like more code heavy implementation types and more theoretical, or is it kind of just the best from whatever you can get from when these people submit their talks? I mean, I think we try to find a, we want to find a balance between business and technical too, because we want, we want practitioners who aren't the roll up your sleeves, write the code, um, you know, the business of why to do open API, why does open API matter to your business? Why do APIs matter? But why does open, how does open API stabilize it, ground it? And you mentioned government, definitely. I mean, UK government, US government, um, Netherlands, India, they've all adopted open API as a specification. So um, it is something that is uh, top of mind for, you know, beyond just developers. And I think getting those folks, um, you know, having a business track has always been a critical part of any API conference in, in my experience. And getting folks here that are, are aware of the business problems and uh, confident and able to talk about open API is pretty critical to the whole thing. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that, I mean, as someone who gives more technical talks and like non-technical talks, I'd be really curious. As, I mean, A, I'm not submitting because it's really late in the game for me, but I'd be curious to see like how to put together um, kind of a more business focused, here's why you should use OpenAPI versus here's how you integrate it with your code, um, which I think is really interesting. That, that's always one of the questions. Like, like I remember when API Strat was in Nashville, um, what was that? 2018, like eight years ago. Oh, wait, Portland like wasn't the last year. <laughs> Matt just reminded me Nashville was the last year of API. Was Nashville? Man, I am so off. Uh, <laughs> We're not good. Yeah. Time, what is it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Time is just a black Portland was 2017. Point. Nashville is 2018. You are correct, sir. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not like, because I remember, AP, you know, I live in Nashville and I saw API Strat and I was like, oh, that looks super cool. But I wasn't totally sure, like, am, am I going to go there and get information about like how to implement open API? Am I going to get more information about why should a business adopt it? So I think it, it's good to kind of talk about like the why behind the conference. And, and if I think, can you kind of like hit the nail on the head, which is showing companies that there is absolute value in open API or async API using JSON schema. Um, even God forbid GraphQL, I got to no. donate $10 now to a charity for that one. And so I think that's, that's super cool. So when you're, when you're building these talks, like does each, does like open API get its own track, RAML blueprint, all that kind of stuff gets on track, or is it the best talk that you can find for that time space to kind of balance out? Um, all yeah. the different speakers. Yeah, we've we've historically not actually had talk-based tracks, like, I mean, um, spec-based tracks, because we wanted people to be able to go and, like, attend a track that they would hear about different specs, like, different things about different specs to, like, widen their, like, perspective, basically, of, you know, what is works for this versus working for that. Um, trying to make it as pragmatic as possible. Um, and so many times it's actually based around kind of like what we've been talking about is like, is it an implementation thing? Is it something done for experience? 
or is it done something around, you know, the business, uh, you know, and, and so it's more related to, is that talk, like, what is, what is the talk actually talking about? You know, if it's about maybe governance or like managing, you know, API specs at scale, you know, those kinds of talks would be more likely to be paired together so that maybe that's a problem someone's having and they could like go and understand better. We do try because we do have multiple tracks. We do try not to overlap specs. Like we wouldn't, we, we try, it's hard sometimes, but like we wouldn't want two async talks being at the same time because we, if somebody's really into async, then they would miss it. Um, the nice thing though with virtual, it's been a lot easier to record and put everything up online. I mean, I think we were online within the week. Um, oh, wow. So that has historically been a challenge for in-person conferences because you have to pay AV teams often contracted through the venue and those get very, very expensive. Um, so virtual has actually made it easier to, to be able to have this content like put up online too. So if people miss things, uh, you know, they can, they can always come back to it. But yeah, so, you know, there's, there's sometimes been a push to maybe have like specific part of this also like sometimes the number of open API talks is so much greater than the others that then what do you do with all the other time for the others after you've run through all the async talks or all the GraphQL? Or, I mean, sometimes you even have talks. I remember last year GitHub had one that talked about both open API and GraphQL, I think. And so, you know, what track would you put that in? That, that would make it harder. I think that goes in the, the post-apocalyptic Thunderdome. Okay. <laughs> and then and then we put Phil in there and we just let him fight. <laughs> Riding his bicycle around the circle dome where it's like, you know, with, You can't with... catch you you can't argue with me if you can't catch me. So like you, you mentioned Portland, I think it'd be funny to put Phil on a unicycle with that burning um bagpipe that like everyone takes a picture of crossing the bridge. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that could be Phil. Yeah, no, I, mean, I think it'd be uh, but Taylor, you did hit on one really cool point, which is the fact that talks are recorded, or they were recorded last year. It looks like they're going to be recorded again this year. Yeah. If let's just say uh, for that weekend, like I'm on vacation or I just work got incredibly um, wild, is it is it possible for me to, like buy a ticket after the fact and watch the videos, or like did it get posted online? Yeah. I, so I think last year, if I, I, I could be slightly wrong. We initially let people who bought the tickets see them with for a few days, and then we, I mean, it's open up to everyone. You can go on YouTube. We have, like, a, a YouTube playlist of all the talks. Um, I mean, our goal is not to make, I mean, we don't make money off of this <laughs> at all. <laughs> and so um, it's, yeah, the goal is to, to be spreading this content more and so I mean the really the thing that people miss out on is you know we had a really lively chat uh people said that and so you know you do miss out on that I do have literally all of the chat logs from last year that I had the intention of going through and pulling out resource links that people were posting that I never did do but uh, so that some people could, you know, see some of the things that people shared because people are constantly sharing things in the chat. I noticed it was like, oh, you should check out this thing by this other person. And that was like super, super nice. Um, and then, yeah, you, you miss the live discussions, too. Uh, but other than that, you can the content itself, it's, it's put up in its entirety 
um, you know, well, also we did live Q and A. So one of the cool things about the pre-recorded talks is often speakers will be in the chat talking with the, the attendees. Um, we really encourage that to try to make it more engaging rather than speakers just sitting there. Well, I mean, most of the time it's pretty painful watching your own talks, but, um, it makes it slightly better when you can have a great conversation about some of the points of the talks with attendees who are also watching it for the first time. So. Oh, that well, sounds super I, cool. Oh, go I, ahead, Kane. No, I was just going to add that, you know, being there, like, you don't realize in the moment. Like, I've, I've been doing enough of these. I mean, I remember 2012, you know, Tony coming and introducing Swagger, you know, and, and how many conversations we had to build up Swagger as a thing. I mean, those were the days where API Blueprint, honestly, was kicking Swagger's ass in the early days. And, and then you had other ones you know, like uh, Mastery's IO docs that, that really just lost, you know, badly. And you don't realize in the moment how much history is being made and how much you're shaping and crafting how these things move forward. And you're in the room with people who are doing this and, and moving these things forward. And then by hanging out with them and talking and getting to know them and building relationships, you end up being part of that, that evolution. And you don't see it in the moment. Looking back, I'm like, wow, okay, you know, at, at these different milestones, that's when Swagger became what it became as Open API. And and so we're really, I would say, at that inflection point with Async API, with JSON schema really kind of maturing to a level that is, um, you know, it's ubiquitous. It's part of Async API. It's part of Open API. And so being there part of live conversations, sure, you can go to YouTube right now. There's 34 videos, you can learn a lot, but there's something to be said for being there. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. I will say, and this came more out of the last in-person one, but I was having a conversation uh, with someone in the whole, like the hallway track basically. And talking about how we needed more, we needed to build out like more educational resources around open API. Um, and then today we are a baby doc site basically that is, is slowly growing, uh, to, to do exactly that, you know? And so some of these conversations I've seen last year also from, we had a really good panel last year, a keynote panel that people were like, Oh, this basically needs to be a podcast, <laughs> like the keynote panel, because I liked it so much. But some of the conversations that came out of there then went on to Twitter. And um, yeah, you're definitely missing out on a piece of it if you're if you're not in that initial conversation. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I do want to balance for the fact that not everybody, you know, we have to make decisions around time zones. And you know, we do put a lot of thought into at least maybe we can get late European time zones included um and uh but you know people need to go to bed sometimes so it's totally understandable too well i mean and that like I, on another podcast i host we were talking about that too which is there is a an aspect of the in-person i mean like so when api strat was in nashville ken and i went to dinner i don't think i knew you at the time taylor otherwise i would have mm. like roped you into it too but like ken and i went and we had um dinner with uh, a few other really awesome people at the conference and that can't be replicated virtually it's really weird to like eat 
while on camera with somebody else, yeah. in my opinion. But there is also the aspect of the fact, like you said, not everyone can make it to a conference. Not everyone can afford to travel for a conference. Yeah. Just not every company pays for you to travel to a conference. Like that's an incredibly huge privilege to have. Uh, some people don't have families, like, or they do have families, and it's hard for them to leave for yeah. a, I mean, a, a four day round trip type thing. You know, some people, you know, crossing an ocean is hard. If you tweet about it, Phil's going to, you know, tell you to buy trees. It's hard too. Um, you might so end like up on a, a freight ship, you know, traveling yeah. across the ocean instead. Yeah, you, you might end up like. <laughs> it might be a month long journey. <laughs> a sailboat in the middle of the Caribbean. Yeah. You just, you don't know. But so, it, and it sounds like, I, I will admit I did not, um, join the conference last year, but it does sound like y'all have found that almost perfect middle from replacing the in-person hallway track with something that feels like it's in person, yeah. but it is virtual is what, is what it really sounds yeah. like. I mean, we, we tried our best. And I think there's definitely room to grow on that. I think that's something all virtual conferences. So this is this is the thing with virtual conferences. I think at the beginning, we all thought, oh, this is going to be a six-month thing. We're, let's just do what we need to do to get by. And then we'll return to normal. And that wasn't what happened. And so there was like a later moment where people were like, oh, shit. We need to do better. And so, you know, some of those things are starting to come out of that. We did try one thing last year that some people participated in. So one of the things is like we, we didn't want to end, you know, late in the day. We, for most people, it was sometime in the afternoon, at least on U.S., on America time zones. Uh, we did this like thing. Um, I already forgot what it's called. Uh, you like could join a table with like other people and like have a chat basically. And you could, there were multiple, at one time there were like three different tables going of at least like six or seven people just chatting with each other about what talks they liked, what were things that were interesting to them from the conference, just general casual chat. I think that was kind of cool. You know, we were like, it's free. The platform was free, I think, or really cheap. And so we were like, let's just try it out to see if people join. And, and you know, enough people did that. I think we, we will probably try to replicate something like that again. Um, that is closer probably to the hallway track. Well, some of the chats also during, you know, it's a, it's a whole different environment to chat during someone's talk. <laughs> In a normal world, that would be probably seen as really disrespectful. In a virtual world, it's seen as engage you're engaged. And so it's very like it's flipped on its head. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that changes once things start returning to, to, to in person again. I'm not sure I'm ready for to go back 100%, to be honest. You know, I'm, I do, I, I love and I miss the, the being on the road and being in the bars and, and eating hot chicken with Matt and things like that. But man, I also like being at home, you know, and I also like hanging out with my pooch who's laying here on the floor and, you know, it's, but it's, I don't know, we're going to have to find a balance. I don't think, I don't think we're going to go back to normal. I think we're going to find a balance. Yeah. I actually think, you know, I, I feel, I'll be honest. Like I feel like at the end of last year, I burnt out pretty hard on virtual events. Like I, I've only spoken at one this year, partially because I was just kind of like, 
I'm done. <laughs> um, and I think, though, with things kind of opening it up, maybe my brain will be more okay with, uh, you know, 50-50, like attending some virtual events versus, and, and some in-person or some kind of blend. Uh, I think there's a lot of talk, at least in the developer relations community, that, you know, people have this desire for hybrid you know, one event that is both in-person and virtual, that's going to be really hard because that's like throwing two events at once. You're, it's, not, it's not one event, it's two events with two different experiences. And I think conferences are going to need to be really careful about how that, how that works. And, and I feel like after this year of, of Ask, we're going to have to have some serious thought around what, how do things go forward and how do we not leave out the people who maybe won't be able to attend future uh, in-person events or who really don't like the virtual ones. So maybe there'll be some things in the event survey about that. Um, we'll, we'll have to figure that out. Well, it'll be interesting too to see kind of, because I think one of the biggest problems with the virtual conference space at first was how do sponsors get engaged? Because at least at the conferences I go to, like, you know, they raffle off MacBooks and drones yeah. and like you enter your email address and then you're on their list and they can. Yeah, I've gotten know. so many more emails from vendors this yeah. year. Like so, I've, so many more. <laughs> so many. I'm just like unsubscribe, unsubscribe. But it's, you know, I mean, like when you're in the, the virtual space, how do you get your attendees to go to the vendors to interact with them without making, without yeah. the vendors seeming like pushy in the kind of open spaces tech uh channels that are out there so yeah. like how how is how is it trying to find sponsors for ask like this year last year virtually all that kind of stuff really it, hard yeah <laughs> it's not easy getting people to cough up money for events in the first place is never easy that's always been something i've done and and getting event budget you get you get beat up by events the bigger the company is especially the more you get beat up um and and when you do get money they 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 expect quite a bit of roi for that and in the event world that's just that's 10x is hard like how do you justify this how do you you know so we did uh kind of uh soften the packages this year and make them much more affordable um and try to you know give them as much social media love and and showcase them on the site and and other things but yeah trying to create that hallway experience that giving away of drone and and those types of things um and just hanging out i mean going to hang out in the, the exhibit hall and eating their food and and grabbing their swag and you know i mean i always go around and 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 drink their drinks they use sometimes they have beers you know stuff like that but what do you do in a virtual world? So we, it just requires us all to be a little more creative, I think. And I think us as an event, we have to be, but also companies, I think there's a certain amount that, I mean, part of it with Ask is you're not, you know, this is kind of like the OAI membership. I was just talking with SAP um, last week about the, why they sponsor the, the OAI. And they're like, because we want it to stay around. And it's really critical that, that the OAI sticks around. And I think that really translates to, to ask is why should you be sponsoring ask because you need this conversation to occur. It's not just about you getting uh, kudos and, and, 
and people on your email list, that actually might not help your company in the long run. You know, with with Matt, you know, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. Um, but you know, ask happening and moving forward the spec in meaningful ways with with a lot of stakeholders at the table. That's going to benefit your company. So I think as as organizations, we gotta we gotta think about that bigger picture, and that's that's a hard, even harder sell because. Honestly, a lot of you know companies don't have those altruistic motivations. I think the the one other thing it it asks a lot more of company like if a company wants to have a good outcome from sponsoring a conference, company needs to be more creative, basically, and engaged. And the standard stuff of you know we got our booth stuff, we got our swag, we show up, we do the thing, we go home. That is, that's hard. You can't, that, that doesn't work anymore in this virtual world. And uh, yeah, I mean, sponsorships have been hard. I mean, we're very lucky that the Open API initiative exists and that helps fund actually the, the conference more than sponsorships do. Uh, otherwise, it would not exist at all. <laughs> um, I think this year we picked a slightly better platform for sponsors um, that we're using to do the event on. And we really tried to think about what sponsorship packages were like a bit more um, to learn from, from last year and from other events. And hopefully there's a few more sponsors. <laughs> but it's nothing compared to like you know, I think about API strats, you know, kind of vendor sponsorship area. It's, 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 you can't even compare those two, basically. It's two different playing fields, basically. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so if people, first, if a company wanted to get involved, what's the best way for them to get involved? Yeah, if you go um, to our website, apispecs.org, uh, io, not org.io. Um, there is a sponsorship sec section um, where we have the sponsorship prospectus and how to contact us. Also, um, our event report from last year that has a bunch of uh, the good things that happened last year that, that they um, may be very interested in compared to some of the other virtual events. Um, and then also on that site is also uh, how to speak and how, how to register to attend also. Cool. And if people were looking to speak and you wanted to drive them to a certain topic, what topics um, would you really like to see come through in these final 11 days of the CFP? I know Ken, you know, touched on all the, the other types of specs uh, outside of OpenAPI. I would love to hear more of those. I think the other area is you know, I think sometimes because of API specifications, they think that, oh, this is a conference of people who are maintaining these specifications from like a spec standards level. And while yes, those people are there and quite accessible, which is awesome. Uh, you know, again, we want to hear from practitioners. We want to hear from people who are actually using the spec on a day-to-day, -day, weekly, monthly, whatever basis they're using it and how they're using it and what they've uh, built out on their teams and learned and, and share with, with others so that they can also learn from that and, and build on top of that. And, and I would add some of the conversations that are going on right now in the OAI, but these are um, multi-spec conversations for my 
my, my perspective is um, conversations like extensions. Um, there's several conversations right now or subgroups being set up in the OAI around um, workflows. I know Phil's part of the workflow and kind of automation uh, orchestration, like creating a, whether it lives as, as part of the spec or an extension of the spec remains to be seen, but um, how do we extend it to daisy chain open a, uh, you know, APIs together and call one and then another, another um, conversations like that. How do, how do you create extensions for code gen? How do you create extensions for gateways? Those are really relevant conversations. And those are conversations like the SLA one um, that apply to async API just as well. So the SLA isn't just an open API extension. It's an uh, async API extension potentially. Um, overlays is another really kind of hot topic that's that's moving forward right now. I would love to hear more thoughts about how you apply overlays to uh, to make changes, you know, mass changes to an open API spec for like change management, versioning, um, updates for documentation, different things you can do. Um, any of those kind of, I really think it's it's not just the ask is not just a multi-spec conversation in that hey we talk about open api and we talk about async api it's how do they work together and when do you decide and and how do you choose between when 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 to use them you know in different situations and and then how, how what's the future look like i think there's a lot of folks who really want one spec to rule them all you know and i would love to hear people's you know talks on that why that matters or why that doesn't matter why it shouldn't be like that so um, I think a lot of those kind of Uber level conversations are really critical right now because we're at a kind of in interesting point in time. I, I will add one thing. I, I think sometimes people feel like because it's a conference that's so focused on specs that you shouldn't talk about like your struggles with specs sometimes. And I think those are the best, some of the best talks. Like yeah. not only is that good for maintainers to hear, but it's good for other teams to hear as long as, I mean, my thing is as long as you're being pragmatic about it and you're not just like shitting on something. Um, but you know, the, these specs are not without their faults and we should talk about them and how to make them better. And again, back to the evolving, uh, you know, the specifications and pushing this forward. We need, we need to talk about the struggles too. There was there was one person in 2014 that refused to adopt the spec because it didn't do what they wanted it to do. It did not accommodate what they saw as the most important parts of doing APIs. And I said, come to API Strat and talk about that, like share that story. That's a super important one. And then, hey, you never know, you might get involved in the spec and be able to move it forward to make it do some of these things. And that person's name was Daryl Miller. And he hated the spec. He hated Swagger early on, and I would fight with him about it. <laughs> and I got him to come to the API Strat to, you know, kind of poke holes and like, come, come, tell us what's wrong and why the spec is a bad idea. And he never left. And yeah, next thing you know, you might be, you know, on the TSC <laughs> and like with all this responsibility. <laughs> so no, no pressure. <laughs> yeah. So take this entire story how you will. You might end up going from a hater to one of the biggest voices pushing the open API specification forward. Amen. Um, so that could be a good thing. Could be a bad thing. Depends on your level of involvement, but no, thank you all so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Hopefully this, um, 
drives a little bit more interest into the CFP. So remember, um, I'm going to get this up as quick as I possibly can. So you have until June 11th. Is it midnight on June 11th? Yeah. Is it yeah. midnight? Um, um, Pacific time. Pacific time. Yeah, there it is. So if you're in Nashville, you get two hours after midnight. And if you're anywhere ahead of that, you get more time after that. So keep that in mind. Um, and then you can find information about uh, the conference on Twitter at API Specs, where they have all the information about the CFPs. And if your company's looking to get involved as well, I highly encourage it because like Ken said, this is your way of kind of helping shape the conversation. Um, and a conversation can't be had if there's no one else to talk to you. So uh, Taylor, Ken, thank you all so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Um, and I look forward to seeing you all at the conference. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it.